for our first message today. We have a split sermon from Mr. Ken Barton entitled, So Much More As You See the Day Approaching. Mr. Barton. Hi, everybody. And as usual, unfortunately, the last few times, I don't have a wonderful little joke to tell. I could probably tell about not recognizing my wife earlier when my when when I've got one of those ring doorbells and it goes off when somebody's up at the door and this lady was coming up to the door had a name tag that threw me off she's been to her uh, 50th class reunion is postponed from last year but anyway I just that caught my eye and so, you know, you can talk to him as though you're there. Can I help you? <laughs> she said, I don't think so. <laughs> Look at that. So I'll, you know, pray for me. I'll get to live that down in a few years. <clears throat> the most difficult thing is the decision to act. The rest is merely tenacity. It's unknown exactly when Amelia Earhart, the first woman to complete a solo flight across the Atlantic, said this quote, but it reflected her personality in full. The remainder of the quote says, the fears are paper tigers. You can do anything you decide to do. You can act to change and control your life and the procedure. The process is its own reward. Earhart chased her own dreams, and this quote inspires us to do the same, regardless of the challenges. You can have as much determination as you want, but to reach your goals, you also have to take the difficult step of acting on that determination. I got that in an email from inspiringquotes.com. They're pretty good if you, you know, want to check them out, and they do have some very inspiring quotes. I started thinking about this, which I suppose is the very definition of an inspiring quote. <clears throat> and that's what they're supposed to do, right? Then I read a message that Doyle Carter had posted on Facebook that was authored by Bill Brett, titled Onward, Christian Soldiers. And before I had read that, I had already been thinking about the Apostle Paul and his exhortations about being strong in our service to God. So we'll start with Hebrews 10 and 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of others or of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, isn't he? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who makes up this cloud of witnesses that we're beset by? The people who Paul refers to are all in chapter 11. Definitely worth the read as the elders and whose scriptures tell us about that in faith believed God and acted on those things that God had told them to do. This, in my opinion, is one of the finest listings of those in the Old Testament who displayed incredible and wonderful faith in God. Faith that is still to be completely fulfilled. Move down to verse 39 and 40. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, and he's, Paul is speaking to the people in this church, okay? <clears throat> God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And think about this. Paul realized that God had allowed the apostles to see Jesus, had allowed him to come and for them to see the coming Messiah. But that wasn't the end of that either, was it? And that was a problem that many had because Jesus didn't conquer the world kingdoms, did he? He didn't do what he was supposed to do. I'm looking forward to in the millennium seeing all the people lined up coming to God and saying, you didn't do it right. And he'll say, oh, really? And they say, no. And some of them will, will have some impressive bona fides. I have three PhDs that I earned on my studies of the end times and how everything was supposed to play out. And it didn't, it, you didn't do it anything like that. And he'll just kind of look at him and say, no, I didn't, did I? God knows what he's doing. But he didn't do it the way that the established religious experts expected or believed things would occur. That wasn't the end of things. There's still more to be done. Because Jesus is going to return, isn't he? He's been away, working on the house, getting it prepared for his bride, because he still has unfinished business to take care of. The resurrection and transformation of his brethren, his bride, into born-again spirit children of God. Looking forward to that, folks. Think of that. We still have that to look forward to we can have part in the first resurrection. Some of us may get to experience the immediate, in the twinkling of an eye, transformation. We'll get to see the skies open and Christ coming, if I'm there. If not, they will. And right after the skies roll back and Christ starts coming, and his angels with him, then the dead in Christ will start rising from the grave. And we'll, they'll see that, the people that are still alive when Christ comes. They'll see people rising from the grave. And then, in that twinkling of an eye, they will be changed into spirit beings. <clears throat> Looking forward to it. Anyway, but, but Paul was realizing that it could still be a while. Okay, 
Paul, when he first started writing, was, was expecting it to happen pretty quick. So did all the other disciples and apostles. They were, they were, they were expecting it to happen. He, uh, you know, how long does it take God to fix something, right? <laughs> it's taking quite a while. It's going to look good, folks. It's going to be worth the wait. <clears throat> Paul's message to believers changed as he came to realize it wasn't going to happen as soon as he thought it would. So if you were in Paul's place, wouldn't you want to encourage your fellow believers in Christ to hang in there? To exercise their faith and continue to live in Jesus' word? As I look at our world today and the shape it's in, I find it very worrisome. Our Bible study just started. If you guys, you know, you guys are all welcome. Welcome. Second and fourth Tuesday. Start at seven thirty, end right about nine o'clock. <clears throat> Last night we started on the first three chapters of Isaiah. It could have been written about our world today. I'm not standing here tell, telling you today that Christ's return is imminent, nor am I telling you that we don't have anything to worry about yet. Because it's a whole lot closer than it has been. But I don't know when it's going to be. I believe that there are some things that still must occur before his return. But I also realize that all of that can happen in an immediate and short time span, can't it? We see stuff like this when this, this virus started, how quickly the stores were, were wiped out of toilet paper, all things, and eggs, water. Because here's the thing. It will all be completed. It will happen, and it will be completed according to our Father God's The New Living Testament, or translation, Matthew 24, 36 through 39, says, However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in the days of Noah, in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people... We're enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered the boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man came, comes. I can definitely see that happening because so very many people are clamoring for us to accept and even glorify those who spit in the face of God with the queer alphabet folks, gender fluidity folks. Let me state right now that the Lord God, creator of all that is, determined at the very beginning <clears throat> that at least with most animals, there are two sexes. And that they are to recreate by male mating with female. Period. And as far as we humans, a man and a woman are supposed to marry and have children. Genesis, starting at 28, or 27, 
and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, who's in charge? We're in charge, right? But who set it up? God. You think God knew that how long this was all going to take? You think God made his planet that he's going to put us on uh, able to handle it until time to call an end to it and start over? I'm thinking he did. Anyway, never has God said, whoops, I didn't plan on all these kids. Y'all back off a little bit, okay? Back off some. You're going to run out. Did he ever say that? No. He did address it, though. Matthew 6, 25. Excuse me. Through 33, let's see. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, what you will uh, put on your body, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet more, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? I think we are. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? About the only thing I figured out worrying could do is, is make my bald spot maybe bigger or my hair grayer. Or it's possible I don't even have any control over that. <clears throat> so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither, to neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall I eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's why we need to read God's word, to remind ourselves that God has promised that he'll take care of us. Again, the NLT, Isaiah 10 310, I'm sorry. Tell the godly that all will be well for them. They will enjoy the rich reward that they have earned. That's good to know. But you notice there's a qualifier there. Tell the godly that all will be well for them. He's not talking to the folks out here that have just completely thrown God away. It's not going to be well for them. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider one another 
in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. What day is that? The day of the Lord. <clears throat> the day that Jesus returns to earth to conquer and make things right. So do not grow weary. Hebrews 12 3 through 11, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Think about what Christ went through. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Now, there are some in this world that have been. There's some horrible things going on, but we have. You have, I see, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the christening of the Lord, chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? I used to have a different idea about chastening. You know, it's only whipping, you know, type. But, you know, co correcting, bringing along. <clears throat> if you were without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present when you're going through it, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So when our conscience bothers us, we need to search that out, find out why God is talking to us, and correct our actions, right? And let's help others who may be having trouble. If we see someone who seems to be having trouble, we know how to give them counsel because we all, we all have different things that we're better at, right? That we know a little bit. And if you have something, you've been through this and you see somebody else going through that, help them out. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down, the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. I know with an absolute surety that God's word is true, and what he has promised he will deliver. I pray for revival of the hearts in this land, and I pray for restoration of our nation to that of one that serves God. I pray that people will turn back to God now rather than later. I pray that we'll awaken to Paul's message so that we can be standing strong in God.
Hebrews 12:18 through 29. For you have not come to a mountain that may be touched or tor- yeah, touched and that burned with fire and the blackness and darkness and tempest. Referencing the people in the Old Testament that came with Moses, right? That was a real mountain. Real smoke covered, real thunder of the Lord's voice. Scare, very scary. When you get warned, don't come close. If any animal even touches that, shoot it through with an arrow. This is scary stuff. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven. Who's the firstborn? Christ. And we're part of it. We're, we're his begotten children. If you've accepted and realized that you need to be serving Jesus and that you have repented and you have been baptized and had hands laid on you, you are a begotten child of God. To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably. Acceptably. Washed my teeth this morning. Can't do a thing with them. Anyway, with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. As a family full of love for one another, let us build one another up. Let us strive together to see that we're all there when our first risen brother returns to gather us to him. 